And let's pray. Father, as we come as disciples of Jesus to listen to his words, help us to understand what he was driving at and to see how these things might guide us as we live our lives in all its challenges. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in this section of Luke's Gospel, uh, Jesus is on his way. He's on his way to Jerusalem. Uh, He's teaching disciples He's meeting crowds and Pharisees and tax collectors, the rich, the sick, all sorts. And he's expecting suffering and death when he arrives in Jerusalem. In uh, chapter 18, the previous chapter, verse 31, Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. This is a road trip and a kind of farewell tour. And Jesus is teaching by word and example. He's teaching his way, his way to live and move through the world. It's not the way of the world. It's not the habitual, natural way to live, which perhaps is characterized by self-regard self-preservation and self-promotion. No, Jesus warns against all this. He warns against greed and hypocrisy and resistance towards God. Rather, the way of Jesus is is the way of self-denial, of forgiveness, of faith, of humility, of thankfulness, of grace and ultimately of salvation. And today's passage may seem like a random string of teachings and a story, um, but I think there is a, a, a thread uh, threading through it, a string that holds it all together and that each part illuminates something of the way of Jesus for his disciples. And I hope that uh, that's you. If you're here this morning, uh, even if it isn't you yet, that's okay. You're very welcome here and you can look in from the outside, so to speak, and you're welcome to do that. Let's work through this passage in five sections, five marks of the way of Jesus. And the first one is care. This is verses 1 to the beginning of verse 3. The disciple of Jesus takes care not to upset the faith of others. Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied round their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. Causing someone to stumble, you may wonder what that means. I suggest it's upsetting the faith of another. It's providing an occasion for someone else's sin. It's misleading them or tripping them up in their discipleship somehow. And we all leave a wake as we move through life. There is a a kind of ripple that comes off us, our words and our deeds, and that ripple, those waves affect others. Our words, our actions affect others. We become a model and an example, something either to imitate or to react against. We become an influence and an effect on others. And because faith sin and discipleship are so crucial for us and for those around us, the disciple of Jesus is careful about the wake they leave 
in the lives of others. Uh, will this thing I do foster and strengthen the faith of others, especially the little ones by which I think Jesus means the more vulnerable and impressionable amongst his disciples? Or will it sow doubts? Will it encourage people to do wrong? Or even just to take part in something they're not sure about? There's perhaps an example of this in Paul's encouragement to the Roman Christians not to do what they were otherwise free to do, so that others would not be distressed, that would, others would not be led into acting against their conscience. In Romans, uh, Paul writes uh, to the Christians, and the issue is food. Should some Christians eat food that other Christians think should not be eaten? Romans 14, let us uh, therefore, says Paul, make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It's better not to eat meat or drink or wine or do anything that will cause your brother or sister to fall. That is, the effect of your actions on others is more important, even if you, you have freedom in some way to do those actions. It's better not to eat meat or drink or wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So the disciple of Jesus takes great care not to upset the faith of others, for God will not look kindly on those who don't care how what they do affects others. The second uh, of our five pieces is forgiveness. Uh, so from the second half of verse 3 to verse 4, the disciple of Jesus always, it says here, meets repentance with forgiveness. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day, and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Now, you and I are perhaps well aware that issues of repentance and forgiveness in life are difficult and tangled, sometimes some of the most difficult issues we face in life. I'm sure Jesus is aware of this too. But here Jesus is putting the matter starkly. He's putting it in an extreme form, not to say these matters are easy, but to push against our natural tendencies our natural tendency to take revenge instead of forgiving, to seek to retaliate, or our natural tendency to refuse to forgive, even when our forgiveness is genuinely sought, to close the door on reconciliation, or our natural tendency to bear a grudge, to nurse the wound, to refuse to ready myself to forgive. The situation he is speaking of here is not that of a manipulative sinner feigning repentance, whether consciously or unconsciously, but rather Jesus is assuming a repeated, genuine repentance. A text like this can be misused by people who might quote it to you to insist that you forgive them. 
but this text is not given to be put on the, in the mouth of the people who need the forgiveness to force others, if they are Christian, to forgive. No, that's to misuse this text. Rather, this text is for the Christian to whom someone comes genuinely repentant, not feigning repentance, but genuinely seeking reconciliation, genuinely sorrowful, genuinely understanding what they have done. The point is that our forgiveness should be forgiveness, it should be given, not secretly holding on to sins even after we have said we forgive. We should really forgive and our desire and our priority should be to be reconciled with others, if at all possible. Not to put limits on how many times we'll forgive. We could explore these issues at more length and maybe we want to do that after over morning tea, that's fine. But what is clear is this banner, the way of Jesus is the way of forgiveness. It's offered to us as his disciples and so it should be offered by us as his disciples. The third thing there in our list of uh, five parts is faith, verses five and six. The disciple of Jesus trusts the Lord of creation. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And he replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. The way of the world is not to trust in God, not to believe that everything lies in his power, that everything serves his pleasure and his purpose. The way of the world is to believe that really the only power is the power within the system of the world. A strong will, a clever mind, a secret knowledge, these things are where power lies. But the way of Jesus is to believe that the God for whom the mulberry tree will uproot itself and plant it, be planted in the sea, he is God. All creation serves him in whatever way he wishes it to. Jesus' point about the mustard seed is that faith itself, you see, is not the power, but that faith has access to God's power. The power is God's. The faith is merely our turning to him and seeking from him something. Jesus' point about the mulberry tree is not that the disciple of Jesus becomes some kind of wizard who can do magic at will. Rather, it's that God is not bound by the ordinary nature of things. He may overrule and redirect anything he has made. And he will do it if necessary. The disciple of Jesus trusts the Lord of creation. The fourth of five things is humility, verses 7 to 10. The disciple of Jesus has no sense of entitlement. Verse 7, suppose one of you has a servant ploughing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Now the answer to that is no. Jesus here has understood a sense of place and a sense of duty that the servant serves, that the servant plays their part until it's done and expects no pats on the back. These days we're all free born and we're all encouraged 
to defend our rights and freedoms, to feel that we are entitled to our freedoms and to give and take in every relationship. And that's all very well with respect to other human beings, but Jesus is talking about our relationship with God. And so are we entitled to give and take with God? Are we entitled to say, well, I've done this, God, so you should do that for me. You, I've scratched your back, so, you know, you should scratch mine. Is that the way our relationship with God works? Not at all. When it comes to God, humility is total and our entitlement is zero. God's servant, the disciple of Jesus, has no sense of entitlement before him, but a sense of our, the rightness of our doing what he asks us to do. Fifthly, thankfulness, verses 11 to 19. The disciple of Jesus says, help and thank you. Again and again, the Gospels show us the heart of trusting in and following Jesus, the heart of being saved. He shows us this by, um, well, the Gospels show us this by telling the story of outcasts meeting Jesus. There are tax collectors and women troubled by uncleanness and Gentiles and lepers. And here in verses 11 to 19, a leper, who is also a Samaritan, a foreigner, a half-caste with dubious religion, shows us faith. Faith says to Jesus, Master, help. Ten called out, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now, there's nothing complex about asking for help. Children do it. But since it is an expression of helplessness and dependence, it requires humility. And hence, at times, even children won't do it, much less adults. But faith recognises our need and God's power, Jesus' power in particular, and puts aside all pride and says to Jesus, Master, help. Faith says also, Jesus, thank you. Ten called out, Master, have pity, and ten were healed, but only one returned to Jesus' feet with thanks and praise on his lips. And only this one was commended for his faith. Many have been known to cry out to God, help me. But far fewer, having been helped, return and throw themselves at Jesus' feet and say, thank you. The disciple of Jesus says both help and thank you. Help and thank you. Help and thank you. And so, are you worried about, for instance, causing others to stumble? Are you fearing that some millstone might be placed around your neck for something you've done? Well, go to Jesus and ask for help. Do not let me be that one who, being careless, upsets the faith of others. Help me with this. Are you struggling to forgive someone? Preferring to nurse the grudge or to make them suffer? Go to Jesus and ask for help. Help me, Lord. Help me to forgive. Help me to want to forgive. Help me to think that we can be reconciled. 
Are you being slowly filled at resentment at what God has failed to give you? After all, I've done for you, God, all of this. Where is the reward? Why is there yet more service I must perform? Not only have I harvested in the field, but now I must prepare the meal. Why haven't you given me health or a spouse or security or recognition or ease? Well, again, whatever you struggle with, go to Jesus and ask for help. Help me, Lord. Help me to let go of myself and find myself in your service. Give me what I need to continue in your service and do all that you ask of me. This act of faith knocks at the door of the Lord of creation and against all odds and expectations and history, Jesus can turn the world around. He can heal lepers, he can welcome sinners, he can still storms, he can give you the help you need. And when he does, return again to him, to his feet and say, thank you. This is the way of faith. This is the way of salvation, of grace, of Jesus, of life. Master help. Jesus, thank you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need much help to live as your servants in the world, to take care of the way that we affect other people and their faith, to forgive those who sin against us, to believe in you, to serve you tirelessly, to call out to you in our helplessness and to give thanks to you for what you do for us. Help us with all these things and show us now, each one of us, one thing in that list that we might take away and think of and pray over during the week so that it might grow up in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.